This is the Volleyball Coaching Wizards podcast, covering everything coaching. Motivated and inspired by interviews and conversations with some of the world's great volleyball coaches. To learn more about the project, visit VolleyballCoachingWizards.com. Now here are your hosts, John Foreman and Mark Levijou. Welcome to episode 16 of the podcast. In this show, we take a clip from Bill Neville's interview where he talks about the Japanese setter who was at the heart of the revolution that they created in the 1960s in innovating uh, offense going with uh, a faster tempo-oriented system, which was completely different from the pretty much just throw the ball up to the hitters sort of approach that had dominated volleyball before then. Bill not only provides a little bit of history here, as he does in his interview, but takes it a step further to, to share his thoughts on the three major characteristics of a good, uh, successful setter. So hopefully um, you'll find some interesting stuff here. To this day, my favorite all-time player was a guy named Katatushi Nakoda. And Nakoda was a setter. I think I like him because he's 5'9". But, oh man, he was a magician. And, 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 I, and, and he, he, um, show, he, he showed the three... Three things I think make a great setter. Uh, one, he was a tremendous leader. I mean, he's charismatic. His teammates, him, uh, he he ran that team. Two, um, he had this tremendous ability to make the right choice at the right time. And in turn, uh, Matsudaira created uh, an offense that had uh, it was a you know it was what he, he called a time differential offense and. Uh, they, you know, they did a lot of X's and double clicks and lots of that kind of stuff. And um, nothing out of the back row in those days, but uh, certainly their play at the net was pretty interesting. So, and it was pretty fast. And Nakoda, the third thing he could do is he could deliver the mail to the right address on time. So he made great choices, and then he was able to deliver. Plus, he had a, a charismatic uh, leadership ability about it. I, I like the combination of elements here with, with Bill's clip. Uh, first, bringing in kind of the historical stuff that I think a lot of coaches in this generation and even maybe the prior generation who don't yeah. date back to the 60s and you know, early 70s may not have an appreciation of where the fast offense that so many teams run these days kind of more or less came from. Um, the Japanese developed it to try to beat the bigger teams. Uh, and a lot of teams... The U.S. being a prime example, uh, adapted it later on um, as they saw the, the success the Japanese were having. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, we also get some insight into what a coach is looking for in terms of the person who runs that offense. Yeah, and and in a lot of teams, basically, is the team leader. Uh, so you get some. If you're someone who's looking to choose a setter and is willing to go beyond, I'm going to take the shortest player because they're not good for anything else except maybe playing Libero, um, which is kind of the classic case. Yeah. Uh, and actually think in terms of what is going to make for a good setter who's really going to do a good job driving the team, then I think you, you're not going to get too, too much better than these three attributes. Yep. Yeah, there's a, you can go in so many different directions with, uh, with that. I mean, the three points are, are, really, are really crucial points. And... I don't think you can ever get away from from those three things, and uh, when you're talking about a setter and the perhaps the leadership 
component is uh, is slightly uh, underrated, um, and perhaps the precision is uh, slightly overrated um, by by a lot of coaches. But um, the three of them, in some combination, I think are the um, are the, the crucial points for setting and and uh, about the with the historical point it um, the the Japanese were the first um, with Nakoda and Matsudaira Matsudaira they were the ones who introduced the the first tempo attack which which is the the, the basis of offense so by including um, uh, sets and and attacks at with different timing, that's when offense was invented. Before then, it was just setting to different spikers and and um, and and playing, just hitting a ball and and seeing what happened. So, in that sense, I think they invented the concept of offense. I think we can make that argument. And very specifically, right. Nakoda was was the guy who. Um, who who used different hand positions to set different balls to um, to to control his hand position as a way of manipulating the block on the other side of the net. So um, he's really he and and his coach Matsudaira, as uh, as Bill said, are the ones who uh, began the the movement that is is now the the offense that we see. Right. Um, let's let's kind of take these three attributes one at a time. Yep. And let, well, let's go in reverse order, um, since you you kind of suggested that accuracy is probably overrated. Uh, I I tend to agree. I think a lot of <laughs> a lot of this um, gets discussed, and is probably why setters do so many block reps. <laughs> uh, and, and actually, it, it comes down to a question a friend of mine asked me a few years ago yeah. from a setting perspective. He said, if you had to choose, would you take good feet or good hands? And my personal response was good feet. And his response was good hands. Um, and, and to my mind, it's, uh, it has a lot to do with the accuracy thing. I think you can train somebody to have pretty good hands. But if they can't get to the ball, then nothing else matters. Um, whereas he obviously took the other philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I don't want to be misunderstood when I say that precision is overrated. I, I don't mean to imply that it's not important, um, but I think that what what sometimes happens is that um, the precision is, in a sense, the easiest thing to be met to, that can be measured, the easiest thing. To measure and so that's the easiest way to to judge the setter so um i think in that sense it's uh in that sense it's overrated not that it's it's not important um to your point i would also have said feet on the basis um that uh if you're if you're underneath the ball then you can maximize whatever whatever your technical abilities are or whatever your hands are, so to speak. So I would tend to, to favor the, um, the, the feet also. I, I think with the feet, you, you are more precise. Right. Um, and to the point about accuracy, I think the other consideration there is hitters can make up for 
deviations in set position. Um, maybe obviously less so at the lower levels, but when you get to a point where hitters have a reasonable athletic ability and reasonable experience, then they're going to adjust if the set's slightly inside, slightly outside, slightly high, slightly low. Obviously, you don't want horrible sets, but exactly pinpoint all the time. I think actually we've we've missed something that uh, that Bill actually mentions, and he says, uh, uh, "What's his exact phrase? Deliver delivers the mail on the, time and the right place, and yeah, to the right place. The timing we we haven't talked about timing as being a component of precision, and mm -hmm. and I think at at some level, at a maybe at a higher level, the the t the consistent timing of the set is more important even than the consistent position of the set as right. i can make an adjustment with the con to the contact point but it's much more difficult to make an adjustment to the time right yeah especially when you're talking fast sets to the pin yeah as as is you know modern in system offense where the the, the attacker is leaving before the ball you know is is becoming released by the setter depending on the tempo yeah yeah once you're into your your approach mode to adjust off of that um, whereas as you say if, if maybe it's a little inside a little outside a little high a little low you can kind of compensate for that yeah um, but that goes I, and I think as you say accuracy is easy to measure it's the decision making which was the second part of the process Yes. That is the, is probably a thing that doesn't get enough attention in this whole this whole trio um, because it's not necessarily easy to measure leadership. When we talk about that, that, that brings in a different dimension and it's looked at in a different way. Yeah. But there's there's no stat for leadership for decision making. You uh, you, you can't look at you can't look at the sheet at the end of that. Oh, yeah, you could say hitting efficiency or kill percentage or whatever. But when you look at the stat sheet at the end of the day. It doesn't tell you. Well, he should have set this player in this in this instance instead of that player. I mean, that's go you know, back on video and you know analyze it yourself. I I've never been comfortable with the idea of uh, setters' decision making because um, or discussions about setters' decision making because for so many situations the the setter is judged. In hindsight, based on the result of the action, mm -hmm. and that seems to be uh, a backwards way of going about something. Because then, if you follow that to its even half logical conclusion, the 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 point is, if the point if it scores a point, it's a good set. If it doesn't score a point, it's a bad set. Which I have actually heard coaches say. Um, I. I think that decision making, firstly, needs to be uh, judged, and actually, coaches' decision making too, under <laughs> under the conditions that existed at the time that the decision was made. Right. So, um, what's the kind of the reception? Well, who's front row? Who's the blockers? Um, and the the list of components to to the decision are, are really huge, and and um, you know, you, uh, it's it's really difficult to to judge those things, other than um, 
was it a point or not, which I guess is why they do it. Yeah. Yeah, well, it's exactly in, in any sort of kind of measurement process, everybody's going to be looking to the end result. But it, it, to my mind, it, it brings up the, the idea that Julio Velasco expressed in the HB Coaches Clinic last year and that in it, for, yeah. any, for any execution, there's going to be two, alum, uh, two elements. There's going to be the decision and there's going to be the actual execution. And so yeah. you've, got, you've got a two-by-two two matrix of, out, of possible outcomes. Good decision, mm -hmm. good execution, you score. You, but you could also score on a bad decision, good execution. Yeah. Or you could even you could even score on a bad decision, bad execution to just you know get really lucky. Um, yeah. So obviously, in the decision making process, as we're we're working with setters and training setters, we're trying to take the the end result out of out of the equation and trying to train them to be, as you say, to be considering all these other variables. What are mm -hmm. your matchups? Who's the hot hitter right now? Not to get into hot cold, you know, um, those statistical <laughs> discussions. <laughs> I'll leave that for another day. Um, yeah, wh what's the quality of the pass? What tempo are you on, and all that, all that stuff mm -hmm. that hopefully is part of the the, the, the trainer, the setter development. Um, and I just lost track of where I was going with that. Uh, but yeah, it, the, the whole thing. Is is really complicated and difficult to to measure, and I think it's even more difficult to measure than um, um, than leadership, really. Yeah, having worked with uh, with Vital Heinen, and uh, he was a setter, so I talked yeah. to him about setting and how he judged setters, and and particularly the this uh, the concept of decision making and mm -hmm. distribution is how we would normally. Right. Yep. And he said that uh, that the way that he that he judged it was he looked at the at the stat sheet, and the guys with the highest hitting percentage should have the most number of balls. Right. And if that was the case, if that is the case, then the setter has done a good job. Well, my only pushback on that would be traditionally your middles. Will end up with the highest hitting percentage, yeah. But oftentimes they will receive the fewest balls because of the quality of the passing. Well, I didn't say that the argument is not without its flaws, <laughs> and I'm sure that when he does look at it, there are nuances in yes. involved. But um, I think that as a as a guide, it, it's an interesting way of looking at it. Well, and it brings up. The, the thing that got talked about a lot, I think, last summer with the U.S. men's team, or maybe it was the summer before, mm -hmm. in terms of we, we want, you know, they made a, a statement. We want one-third of the of those sets to go to a middle attack, be yeah. it the middle hitter or okay. the big. Yeah. Um, so clearly, you know, they're taking that philosophy. We know these are the highest percentage attacks, and so we want to make sure, even yeah. if the leads were kind of forcing it a bit. Um, I realized what I wanted to bring up, and this and this goes into the decision making, um, and also has it's something that's come up in a couple of the interviews uh, in terms of talking about the the transition from side out to rally in the early days, mm -hmm. and, and it's the idea of uh, fear might be too strong a word, but certainly caution, yeah, uh, and conservatism among setters, which 
we don't often talk about in volleyball, um, but is certainly an influential factor. Um, it's a lot safer for a setter to set an outside ball to the pin than it is to to send set a fast tempo ball to a middle or even a fast tempo ball to the outside, um, because they're not going to be judged. Oh, you know, you made a mistake on that ball if something goes wrong. You know, generally speaking, it's the hitter's fault. <laughs> I mean, unless the set's just really bad. But you know, you if you set a decent outside ball, then it becomes the hitter's responsibility to put the ball away, not your responsibility. Uh, responsibility as a setter. Whereas if you goof up the timing or the height of a middle attack, then it's more on the setter, at least kind of the way a lot of people judge it. So uh, it's really easy for a setter to start getting tentative, and especially in crunch situations. And I've, I've seen this happen uh, a few years ago. I think I was watching the NCAA women's final. Yep. In the, I don't know if it was a fifth set or what, it was the deciding set. It was the final set of the match. Yeah. Uh, I think it was, uh, uh, Cal Berkeley was playing and just every single ball went to the outside. There was mm -hmm. basically no middle attack whatsoever. And it just struck me as this is a setter who's a very good setter, really good setter. Mm -hmm. Just either she's been told set the ball to the pin to this yeah. one player, or she's just taken it upon herself and she's gotten tight and is afraid to do anything else. Yeah. Uh, and I think, I think from watching it that that cost them that match or at least that set, uh, and it's like I said, it's not something that we 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 talk about very much, but I I saw and I and uh, some of the other in, the interviewees definitely saw when we went from side out to rally, things got more conservative, just generally speaking, because suddenly if you made a mistake at any time, you're going to lose a point, not just if you were in reception. Mm -hmm. Whereas you know before when you were serving, you could be hyper aggressive because it wasn't going to cost you a point. You just, you know, okay, go back and side out the next time. Um, this is completely off the point, but uh, you think that serving is less aggressive now than it was before? No, not right now. Not right no. now. Um, maybe... No, the, very first thing that, the very first thing that happened in reality was that people started forcing the serve much more. Um, why? I don't know. <laughs> I've never, I've never followed that argument, but that's what actually happened. Well, I was talking in terms of, of even, offense, though, even though there is a greater cost to forcing the serve now than there was before. Right. Yeah, exactly. There was no cost to it before. No, I, I hadn't thought of it in those terms. I, I thought of it just in terms of the offense. Cause you, you, you saw teams go away from the combinations that, I mean, and there were other reasons for this. I'm not going to say, Going oh. to set the rally score was the only reason you started drifting away from running X plays and stacks and oh, things like yeah. that because the blockers were getting a lot better too. I I think that has nothing to do with it. I think the um, the the quality of the blocking is uh, is is the biggest reason. Yeah, fair point. Yes. The quality of the blocking is the biggest reason, and a fastball to the outside is not a low. It's not a low risk. Um, no, action. it's actually a high risk action. But that when took a while to develop. Uh, uh, yes, yes. But I would say the offense is now a higher risk than they were before. I, I totally agree. Totally and agree. The, 
this is the reason why you you see setters that are not as precise or at least not as precise as you remember setters were in the olden days which mm -hmm. of course is a whole other point yeah yeah but all right you, um let's let's talk okay let's let's talk about the leadership side of things yeah um, it's something that when i was thinking about this in from your own perspective uh when you were at berlin you had two decidedly different personalities for setters yep kavika was in charge vocal emotional energetic and then on the flip side not so much <laughs> so what was that like for you and for the team um <laughs> kavika was uh was vocal and energetic definitely um he he saw himself as a leader very very specifically um but i don't think that uh that busty in this situation was really less of a leader he's also a like he was a um a a competitive guy he was a hard worker he 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 wanted to win he was, a, he was an aggressive guy the the difference between them i don't think was in leadership as much as it was in just uh, vocalness right personality uh personality kavika kavika had a really large personality and uh and that was just part of part of who he was and it's a big part of his uh his playing playing the game right and and i brought that up because neville talks about the charismatic leader yeah um and and i think maybe that can be interpreted in a different uh, in some different ways and, and as you say there are going to be personality differences but that doesn't necessarily mean that the team is any less willing to run through a, a brick wall for that for that center to, no, to build bill's point yeah the, the the i think the biggest leadership attribute that a setter has to have is that the the players this is probably no different from from the coach is that the the players around the the setter around the coach have to always have the confidence that the setter has the solution to the problem right and whatever the whatever the that problem is so if we're not able to side out then the players look at the look at the setter the receivers instantly feel calm that they don't the ball doesn't have to be per, better than perfect the spikers know that uh, the next ball will be a the correct choice and be in the right place and uh, and has that i guess calming calming influence on the group right it doesn't have to be calming but but yeah, I, was looking, I was just going to ask was, was kavika calming or was he firing up uh uh both I mean, in different moments, he's a like. I mean, he wasn't uh, he wasn't an aggressive. He's not an aggressive guy. In like, he's, he never gets aggressive with his teammates. For example, he's right, true. The vocal guy. So yep. I mean, he's revving up, not you know, not screaming not, at, yes. not screaming at. So yep. so that's different. And, but but I, I think that that brings up the point, the important point about the 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 visual of the setter 
Yeah. Um, and I think this is where a lot of young setters probably need the most work is how they project. Yeah. You know, because like you say, after every play, before the next serve, where's exactly. everybody looking? They're looking at the setter. Between every rally, all the players on the court, particularly in inside out, in reception phase, every player looks at the setter. Mm -hmm. And whereas the coach can, to a degree, rant and rave on the side and people don't pay attention, uh, <laughs> although, which you know can be because coaches affect the mood of the of the team absolutely and coaches can make a team more stressed and less able to play than um, um, by their actions by their actions and their words and this is one thing i think that doesn't get talked about very much when you talk about emotion and and those things but that's that's an aside but the the setter the, all the players look on the look at the setter um, uh, between every rally, and and probably all the players on the other side of the net look at the setter too to try and get a clue what he's what he's going to do and and how he projects he or she projects themselves. Um, it's really important part of the game. True. Now. Do you do any specific work, or, or maybe the better question is, what sort of work do you do with setters to, to get them in that position where they do project the confidence and the stillness or, or whatever is required in the circumstance? Um, it's, it's just a, it's a, a constant work of reminding them, hey, you know, guys are looking to you. They, they're looking at you. They need to feel that, uh, that you're that you can help them, that you're going to help them. And, and uh, that's, uh, that's the beginning, that's the beginning point of it. And, and I just have to keep working on it. Right. All right. We're, we're coming down on time. Uh, any other, any things that we didn't hit on any final points? Uh, no, I think the, to summarize the, the three components of the, of the setters role, I think uh, are important leadership, decision-making, um, and quality. We do include precision and timing. And, mm -hmm. and uh, I think setter has to be judged by, by all three and maybe at different levels and different moments in the season and the career one has become slightly more important than the other. Um, but, you know, th those three things are the other three things. All right, let me, this is going to extend the discussion, but let me ask the question because I think it needs to be part of it. Um, what characteristics would you be looking for in terms of um, identifying a setter candidate? Yeah, when we're talking at the high school age group, you know, teenagers, whatever, and you're saying, okay, we need to find a kid that we can develop. What sort of attributes are you looking for? It's a long time since I've done that. I'm not sure I know the, really the answer to the question, but but probably probably it would be something about the personality. Uh, I'm not sure I could tell you what it was. In fact, I'm sure I can't tell you exactly what it is. But um, it it would be something about the the personality, and then something about the technical level, and. Probably those two things close together. Okay, I would I would probably mix in uh, athleticism because I think oftentimes your setter 
is one of your best athletes, especially at the lower levels. Um, and part of it is the mentality, but part of it is just is maybe the work ethic or the psychology or, or something that goes along with it. But good setters are oftentimes the strongest athletes in the team and not necessarily the biggest, strongest, highest jumpers, but you could tell that they put in the work, um, they move well, that sort of stuff. So, all right, we'll wrap it at that. All right. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For show notes and more, visit volleyballcoachingwizards.com backslash podcast. Got an idea for a future episode or want to ask a question? Send an email to podcast at volleyballcoachingwizards.com.